Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there and welcome back. Uh, This is episode 15. Uh, So it's very exciting for us today because we've got our first interview. Um, And who better to interview for the uh, first time but Lucy Rocker, who is the founder of uh, which is how Kate and I know each other um, and she has helped enormous amounts of women and a few men uh, around the world. Um, so Lucy has written a number of books, um, The Sober Revolution, which was, uh, we've talked about it before on the pod, but um, integral to my uh, getting sober and for Kate too. Um, Your Six Week Plan, The Glass Half Full, um, A to Z of Binning the Booze, and one other, which has a really long title, which I haven't written down. Um, but um, she is uh, an inspiration. She's uh, become a friend. And uh, we're really, really, really pleased to have her on the pod. Um, so normally we check in with each other, but we're just going to check in with Lucy today. So hi, Lucy. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. Thank hi. you for intro hi can i just say something i talked to i yayed over you and um i yayed over soberistas so lucy's a fan <laughs> of soberistas <laughs> yeah. right what's the what's the end of the other book because i, I uh, the out. name of the other book is how to lead a happier healthier life without alcohol yay lead a happier Hell. which is kind of what it's all about isn't it it's like what we talk yeah. about being the crux of it sort of every week I suppose because we don't just want to kind of not drink we want to be happier and we want to be healthier and I know I certainly feel a hell of a lot more of both of those and like Mandy said I really do owe such a lot to you Lucy for setting up Soberistas and um, so <laughs> yeah so get look so if I can kick off with the first question um can you tell us a bit about what brought you to be alcohol-free? Um, yes, I have. Um, well, I suppose it was kind of um, a journey that lasted about five years in total. I think kind of the last five years that I was drinking, I was having more and more unfortunate incidents, let's call them, <laughs> associated with alcohol. And um, it was becoming increasingly difficult to laugh off those incidents when I could kind of remember them or half of them the next morning and those feelings of dread would kind of creep up on me and I couldn't remember what I'd said to people and they they just became more of a an issue for me um I don't know it was like a kind of a gradual erosion of my self-esteem I think Mm. but I, I was very aware of that happening and I didn't like it but bizarrely I never kind of thought I wonder if I stopped drinking that might go away so that was like it it was kind of like I wanted to fix all of the negative consequences of drinking but I didn't make the leap to think that it might just be drinking that was doing it all yeah right Um, and then but I did having said that I did do kind of lots of little stints of six weeks here off the booze you know a month off here um really just kind of I think I just needed to give my my sort of body and mind a break from it really every every so often because I couldn't take the battering really and then no no it's also that proving to yourself that you can uh, do a break you know 
Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, there was definitely. I don't think that's why I did them. I think I did do them because I just, I just couldn't bear anymore those, those feelings of waking up in the morning. I just needed a rest from that. But definitely, when I did have those breaks at the end of them, I would think, "Aha, you know, I deserve a big bender now because I've uh, managed mm. to go six weeks without alcohol." So I've definitely not got a problem. There was, there was a lot of that there. Yeah. Why do and you? Sorry, I was going to. It's. I have to apologise because we can't really see each other. There might be a little bit of talking over mine there in this, <laughs> in our um, in our pod because we've not done a yeah, three way before. Um, <laughs> but I was going to say because you mentioned that it never really occurred to you, like you wanted to fix the consequences of of drinking, but it didn't occur to you to give up. Have you got any ideas about why that is? I think it was because with, without kind of wanting to paint myself as too much of a sort of trailblazer or anything I think it was because there was no sober easters and kind of social media sober people that I that really existed then Mm. so I, I just wasn't aware of it as a lifestyle I really wasn't I thought you either did what I did which was routine binge drinking hate yourself sleep with ugly stupid silly people that you don't even like <laughs> beat yourself up for it the next morning hate yourself again drink some more or you're an alcoholic and you go to AA it was just mm. like there was just those two things I didn't think there was another way the third way didn't exist and then you know it's only because of as the years have gone on I mean at Sober Easter's well I started my blog seven years ago and mm-hmm. I, I wasn't aware at that time of any other blogs like it or any, you know, Instagram didn't exist, Snapchat didn't exist, Twitter had been going for a very short length of time. Facebook was was massive, but it was only kind of, I was only aware of people using Facebook for personal use. I didn't really know, I didn't go on Facebook looking for kind of other sober people. So mm-hmm. it was all, it wasn't really a yardstick, I suppose, for how to how to have or build a sober life I just didn't think there was another option and I didn't want to go to AA <laughs> so I carried on drinking yeah right and then so Does... what um I mean I that really resonates with me and I, and I think I'd been looking around on online for kind of years well when I was like hung over I'd occasionally google am I an alcoholic well not okay it became more and more frequent <laughs> and then just kind yeah. of do those kind of checklists and I can just remember stumbling upon soberistas and one night doing the same thing and it was the first time that I saw anything that just didn't scare the living daylights out of me or I thought oh hang on I I might even be able to look at this and not totally freak out you know, like it was just not yeah, like anything I'd, I mean, I'd seen. I didn't kind of model it on anything. I, I did have a very, very clear vision in my head of what it should be months, probably even a year and a half before it even launched. I just saw it and I, I've got upstairs in a notepad some sketches of what the website was going to look like, the headings on the homepage. I just saw it really, really clearly, but it wasn't modelled on anything else. I just knew what it should be. Mm. So, yeah, I didn't I didn't know of anything else. I mean, maybe there was, but there was nothing that I was aware of. So I suppose that's why I never really equated what was, you know, the kind of awful consequences of my drinking. I never really equated that with alcohol and it, I suppose mm. it's a lot easier now because when you can go on not just soberistas but obviously there's tons online now and if you can go online and 
and sort of compare stories and see what other people are writing is it much easier to ascertain whether you've got a problem what the problem is and how to get over the problem but it wasn't seven years ago no so can, can you sort of explain how how it went from you like you know many many people in the UK and worldwide doing this kind of um consistent binge drinking stuck in that circle which I certainly was um of you know regret doing it again regret um to giving up booze and then setting up soberistas or like how did that how did you get from yeah well I mean I suppose I mean the word when I look back now it's it sounds really silly saying there were no really serious consequences because when I look back there were so many nights when I should have got the wake-up call I needed and stopped like waking up and not you know being in bed with somebody who I didn't know or when I fell into a an empty bath at three o'clock in the morning and cracked my head on the tap and could have died you know just loads and loads of really sort of scary horrible things that should have made me stop drinking but they didn't the one that made me stop drinking and the real reason I stopped drinking was out of complete and utter fear that I would die if I ever drank again and that's when I ended up in hospital because I drank so much that I passed out and uh outside on the pavement and then woke up in hospital somebody had found me being sick uh unconscious with the dog running around in the middle of the road my dog whose lead I'd dropped um who is still thankfully with us, Betty, now asleep in the kitchen, <laughs> a lot safer with a sober owner than she was with a drunk one, um, and called an ambulance and I woke up in Northern General Hospital in Sheffield at three o'clock in the morning, covered in my own vomit, um, and, yeah, had no idea what had happened, couldn't remember a thing, and I was utterly terrified and, and something just changed in me. I just saw alcohol. Mm-hmm. And me, I saw our relationship, I saw how I would never, ever be able to moderate. I just saw it all extremely clearly and decided there and then I would never drink again, which I haven't. So that was April 2011. I started writing a blog about three or four months after that. Um, Sort of very begrudgingly got through the first year of not drinking, hated it really jealous of other people who could drink used to walk past pubs in the summer and just be kind of really angry (laughs) and resentful of everybody who was allowed to drink in inverted commas because I felt like I wasn't allowed to drink you know it was like I was like a moody teenager having you know being given a detention or having my mobile phone taken off me or whatever (laughs) and then and then I read Jason Vale's book how to kick the drink easily the following summer on holiday in Mallorca Mm. Uh, and again it was like a life-changing moment I just I read this I just read it in like 24 hours couldn't put it down Mm. and I just thought what the hell have I been upset about why on earth have I been upset about not being able to drink it's the best thing I've ever done for myself Mm. and and then by that time the blog had kind of got quite a lot of followers probably about a thousand followers um and I started kind of talking to my then partner, Sean, about the idea of, of something a bit bigger, a social network. Um, he had 
sort of IT skills, design skills, and and she said it helped me because I've got no tech skills whatsoever. <laughs> um, Sounds familiar, doesn't it, Mandy? Yeah, Let's up a weird. podcast, they said. How did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> no. It's quite strange when you find yourself running a website for your business and then you... <laughs> And so, yeah, then we launched Sober Easters th- that November, about four or five months later. Wow. And so can you tell us a bit about Sober Easters? How does it work? Um, what can people get from it in terms of support? Um, yeah, so it's, um, well, it was, when we launched, it was coined a mum's net for worried binge mm. drinkers, which I always felt was probably the most apt description of it for anybody who doesn't know what it is it's just um it's it's a community it's an online community a place to share your thoughts and feelings about sobriety and about your relationship with alcohol and it's a place to connect with people who won't judge you who understand where where you've come from where you want to go um and i suppose it's a place to kind of rewire your brain a bit you know it's if i think if you spend enough time on sober easters you get brainwashed the other way Uh, you know society (laughs) society tells us that alcohol is brilliant we need it we've got to have alcohol to have fun we've got to have alcohol to be cool and if you spend enough time on sober easters i think you just get this overwhelming Mm. positive wave of of Mm. kind of thoughts going the other way that tell you the exact opposite I mean, um, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, um, when I first logged on to Sobristas, I'd never blogged. I was a total novice, you know, being an uncomfortable, unhappy user of Facebook. And, you know, I was just like, oh, my God, how, how on earth do, kind of does this all work? And But I remember just getting those comments about the first blog, like my oh. distress flare I sent up. And, and I just had this overwhelming warmth and this feeling like, oh my god I can actually do this like I I suddenly don't feel so lonely and these were kind of strangers I was like I can are you get it like you get it I, I hadn't known yeah, anyone I who got it before. there's a lot of people who've said that about the kind of you know the real love and compassion from complete strangers yeah, but right. it's just totally you know made the day you know just they've kind of logged on and oh my god people have read it and actually replied and and they've been really nice and and I think you know a massive part of that is that we we spend years and if not decades crucifying ourselves in silence and in secret about what we've done when we've been drunk and what a horrible person we are because we're Mm. you know we can't control the alcohol that we drink in and and then suddenly we get this sort of total unconditional love and support from Mm. people who we've never even met and that's like it floors you it does and it's um, i think there's something that's really wonderful about it having two elements to it too and the fact that you know when i first started i was so terrified that someone might recognize my words you know that someone Mm -hmm. maybe somewhere might know someone that might know me and just from me writing something might realize that it was me you know i was so terrified of Mm. people knowing this little secret big secret that i had and the fact that it's anonymous um you know is is so wonderful when you first start out and yeah, then it has this definitely. element which has grown hugely since I've been, I mean, I've been on the site five years now, I think. 
um, and it's grown so much. And now there's this whole other element of meetups and people coming out face to face, mm. which just, I mean, you, I think, Kate, you went to the first meetup, didn't you? The first ever meetup. <laughs> yeah, and remember that, Lucy, it was in, um, was it yeah, St. Thomas's Hospital? Yeah, yeah. And, and it we was... had Andrew, Andrew <laughs> Langford. Andrew Langford, that's yeah. it, yeah, from British Liver Trust. Yeah, it was so lovely. It was and it amazing. Just, amazing in the last year mm. especially how much they've grown and, and when I saw people on Saturday in Sheffield and, and they were saying you know oh, I've just been to France and um, you know Canada and next mm. year I'll go to India and it was just like oh my god all it's these amazing. like so trips it, it's so lovely and it's really like a natural consequence as well because a big part of mm. my whole ethos really around around sobriety was you've got to create a life that you love Mm. otherwise you're not going to stick with it you know if you've got a miserable life you're only ever going to go back to drinking again at some point you've got to create a really lovely life in Mm. order to not miss that or not want to escape it you know and that's that's for loads of people that's becoming the Mm. traveling the connection the friendships that's Mm. filling that gap that booze used to fill or that they tried to fill with boo yeah and there's um i mean when i do the the sort of coaching my coaching thing there's a thing called peer mentoring where you you know peer to peer you work stuff out and it's very and and i found that that you know that 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 was a kind of function of of the site where we were peer to peer and at some point someone was ahead and some point someone was lagging or someone might have a kind of a problem with this and then you know I I think someone put it in terms of like a geese like a formation of geese flying and and we'd say we'd honk at each other and say right I'm on the rear now I'm (laughs) knackered can somebody else like give us a pep talk and there's there's that kind of stuff going on and and I definitely felt like somehow you created a space where people could tell their stories and in the narrative in the story in the the tradition it's like women's oral tradition almost except we wrote it down we were able to transform it and it was like who would have ever known this could be so powerful i mean i don't know and i certainly didn't know it was going to be so powerful (laughs) i mean my god when i set it up it was not ever with the intention of creating a resource that was going to help people stop drinking i didn't set it up with that in mind i set it up as a safe place where people like me could talk to other people like me who would be nice to me (laughs) and not judge me yeah and where could get it all off my chest to people who got it and that was all it was ever supposed to be really I just thought it how nice it would be to have an online space where mm. people can just go and discuss getting sober you know to other people who are getting sober uh, but the surveys that we've done on Sober Easters have actually shown massively that it's extremely effective in getting people to stop drinking which yes. you know I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a counsellor. That wasn't kind of a, a model that I'd deliberately set up, but it, I suppose it works in, as AA does or any other kind of peer support. It has got that, um, you know, that, that effect, which is brilliant. Mm. Yay, it's amazing. Yeah. How, how many members are there now? From uh, 52,500 registered members. Okay, amazing. Which is, you know, quite phenomenal. We had 20,000 join in the first year, mm. which 
you know, we we had um, I had an advisor. We we had like a kind of a bit of free business support in Sheffield when we first set sober Easter's up, and you go to these like little tutorials and stuff, and they'd give you like advice on marketing and all that kind of stuff. And he said, if you get ten thousand members in the first year, you'll have done amazingly well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got so we were really thinking like you know five or six thousand would mm-hmm. be phenomenal. And then we ended up with 20,000 at the end of the first year. So. Unbelievable. Oh. Yeah, just shows that we were crying out for something. I mean, now it's it's like it's moved. The conversation has moved on, hasn't it? It's sort of so much from like you were saying the early days where it was just like, well, you were either an alcoholic or a normal drinker or, or binge drinking was completely normal. Um, yeah. And now there's this, you know, we talk about this, that the area about grey area drinking from Jolene Parks, isn't it? Your, your friend from Healthy Discoveries on Instagram, Mandy. And yeah. I think she put it a really, really good way that the whole the spectrum of kind of drinking, the spectrum of having a problem or whatever it's called, you know, addiction spectrum, whatever. And it just seems like it's, you know, sort of blown wide open really and thank god for that we can actually discuss it um mm. yeah and I think you know for me when I first stopped drinking I I just I have to say I never went to an AA meeting but one of the huge problems I had with the whole concept of AA was the secrecy of it and the kind of shame and cloak and dagger and sort of shuffling into some like church hall in a very discreet part of town and no you know I just thought what the hell's this all about you know it's like it's the most widely peddled biggest you know third biggest cause of of death in the world Mm. alcohol and countless millions of people have got a dependency on it to some degree and yet you put your hand up and and say I've got a problem with it then you've got you know then you're a stigma and and you're you should be ashamed and you've got to be hiding away. And I just I just refused to do it. And that was a massive part of Sober Easter and the ethos of it. I just thought, no, buggered if I'm going to be, you know, feeling embarrassed and ashamed of having a problem with something that's that widely peddled and, mm. and the way it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm going to put my hand up and talk about this. It needs people to talk about it, not to be secret about it. Yeah. Well, thank goodness you did. <laughs> yeah. Thank fuck for that. Um, we, one of the questions we had next was um, uh, in terms of navigating cyberspace and making those first steps. I mean, what advice would you give to people um, that were kind of questioning how they drink? I don't know, really. With I mean, with the whole of cyberspace, because I've never done that. You know, like I, my day is basically I get up, I take my daughter to school, I walk the dogs and then I sit in front of sober Easter's all day. <laughs> and sort of interchange between sober easters and emails and so i don't really you know mm. in terms of, kind of like a, a total newbie to cyberspace or sobriety cyberspace i don't know how i would you haven't got time them. to do it have you <laughs> by the sounds of it i don't do it yeah i mean occasionally I'll kind of, you know i do look on instagram and what mm. and I'll, i do follow a few people on instagram and i'll read a few posts but i don't generally yeah follow other i suppose i suppose what it is you've just got to kind of have a have a good look around have a shuffle about and see what what people are saying you know speaking in your yeah. language what people what are saying the things that resonate with you mm. and that's the that's the beauty of online help it's so vast that yeah. you will always find somebody who's talking in your language who gets your exact mm. viewpoint on this and and it is horses for courses some people 
really benefit from referring to themselves as an alcoholic and and thinking they've got a disease and and that the you know all of that kind of terminology really really worked for some people it didn't work for me and it totally turned me off and that's why I like the sober easters model but then there's other things there's variations in between so I think you know just kind of yeah have a good rummage around and find what's what talks mm. to you and then follow it and interact with it engage with it what what I found actually from people is some people are more uh, wordy and like literary stuff and maybe have more time and some people um, who I speak to like a very visual so something like Instagram or Facebook like before after pictures things like that yeah. are hugely motivational and they might only dip in for a second or a night for me I know that I needed to definitely write and write uh, and that was incredibly therapeutic and still is for me so like so soberistas was perfect for me but I know some people yeah like who would get a real just get what they need from some something like Instagram that you've yeah, got a big network busy and that you only look at your phone for 10 minutes before you go to sleep you know, then you're not going to have time to do the whole blog thing. I'm like you. I mean, the writing was a big, a massive part of my sobriety. And and it, I just think I really fast-tracked my recovery, if you like, mm. because of writing, because I just processed everything so much better when I write it down. Yeah. But for some people, that's not, you know, it's not their thing. They're going to just really get what they need from Instagram and just looking at some nice pictures or quotes or, yeah, mm. I think just whatever works for you and, and now, like we said, you know, thank God there are things that Different cater things. for everybody. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you set up Soberistas as a space where, you know, that you would have liked to have. Um, do you feel like you've got your connections? Have you got what you needed from it on a personal level, do you think? Yeah, I do. And I, and I really feel that I do often wonder if I would still be sober if it wasn't for setting up Sober Easters. I mean, it, the writing thing was was a big part of of processing how I felt about the past, I suppose. You know, all the stupid things I'd done when I'd drunk and how much I'd hated myself and learning to like myself again and all of that. I, did, I got all of that through writing my blog. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if that would have been sustained had it that you know, the the sort of recovery that I got from that. I don't know if that would have been sustained if it wasn't for the ongoing influence of the Soberistas community. And I think, yeah. I, I, I kind of suspect it wouldn't have been. I think at some point I would have hit the deck mm-hmm. had it been a relationship breakdown or, you know, whatever, whatever is sort of troubling me in in, in life that I might have just sort of, sacked it all off and gone back to drinking because I or I'd got bored or but I've never felt like that because every day there's a constant reminder a of how bad it was when I was drinking because mm. people you know I'm always reading people's blogs who were right at the start of their journey and I remember every single you know everything that they write it's like oh my god I remember that I remember yeah. you know it's always mm. but not only that it's just this I admire people and look up to people on sober easters they're my aspirate you know they're my heroes that's who I want to be like I don't want to be that's the person that I was 10 years ago I I admire the people who have cracked their demons you know conquered the demons and gone on to build these happy lives for themselves and their families that's aspirational to me mm-hmm. that's where I was 
stay. And I get that from sober Easters. So I'm not sure. I think, you know, possibly whether, I don't know. I mean, I just, who knows? It's an unknown, that one. But I, I suspect I probably would have caved and gone back to my old ways if it hadn't been for sober Easters. Yeah, I really love what you say about the fact that you've, because I think a lot of people have sort of, you know, because you've been almost like, like this figurehead who set it up. And uh, I think it's really lovely. And I think it, it sort of, you, it's reminding me of the She Recovers thing that you went to, Mandy, about something about women's circles and and looking back inwards and getting it reflected back at you. And I love what you say about other people inspiring you along the way. You know, it sort of feeds back. It's this feeding back generous loop, isn't it? It it's, does, yeah. And there's, hmm. there's definitely like a humility that I've learned from getting sober and yeah. and, and from sober Easters. And, and I know that's like a common thing. It's a shared experience. I think in I called it... Um, just a negative narcissism or something in one of my books, but it was like... It was like that idea that we, when we drink, we're sort of full of ourselves and we think the world revolves around us, but in a really negative way. It's like we hate ourselves, but mm. at the same time, we're so, we're so kind of, we think we're over, it's, it's like an over-importance that we give ourselves. There's no humility. You just, I, I really was like a bit of a madam when I drank. I really kind of was quite manipulative and I always kind of thought everybody should, you know, I was huffy with other people when they didn't give me the time that I thought I deserved and I just had no humility whatsoever and that's something that I learned when I stopped drinking um and I think everybody who goes through the process of stopping drinking and being becoming sober goes through that humility thing and it's it's a really beautiful Mm. human quality that people who are sober because they had a drink problem all share and I think that's what makes those communities so lovely and special because everybody in them is mm. a bit humble. Mm. Nobody's nobody's really big-headed and we're all equal, you know. I, I don't think I'm better than anybody else anymore. I don't think I ever used to. I think I often thought I was worse than other people, but mm. I certainly attached too much importance to my own life. And since I got sober, I don't see myself like that. I just see myself as, you know, exactly equal to everybody else. And more connected up. And yeah, more connected. Sort of, it's just more human. The, yeah. the humanity comes back instead mm. of kind of that. Yeah, it's a strange existence when you when you're drinking too much. Yeah, no, I can to- I can totally uh, see that in myself too. There's that kind of like that that mixture of being a very hypersensitive person. So you're trying to kind of run away from that because everything feels a bit too much. So that's why you kind of hit the bottle a bit much. And then coming yeah. back afterwards, it's like that, oh, I actually just really give a shit about stuff. Yeah, really caring about, thinking that other people really care that much about what you're doing. And, mm. you know, like now, I mean, to be honest, this is, earlier on, this is a perfect example. I went to the co-op with my daughter, who's six, at tea time, and I'd been for a run. So I had my jogging clothes on and socks and I just thought, I can't ask to put my trainers on. So I just put my Birkenstocks on <laughs> with socks and a woolly cardigan. You're hot to trot. And we went across the road to the co-op and there's many, many people walking about. And I said to Lily, you know, this is the definition of being middle-aged. <laughs> because you don't care anymore. 
what people think about what yeah. you look like. Yeah. She was laughing. You know, I, I don't always walk around like that. But in that moment, I really, really didn't give a rat's ass what anybody thought of me. I was going in the co-op for some milk. And I just, you know, now I know with it's it's very reasonable. Most people will look at you and just think, oh, God, you know, that's nice outfit or, you know, nice sandals, socks combo. But that's as much as they'll give it. And then 10 minutes mm. later, they've forgotten mm. all about it. Whereas 10 years ago, I would never mm. have gone out of the house. I was so paranoid and worried about what other people thought of me and so kind of self-conscious and mm. it's just like nobody really cares, you know. <laughs> You're not but like... It, do you know, I yeah. did that. I it's went cool. to um, the co-op uh, about a week ago and I have to drive there. So I drove and I was still wearing my pyjamas and slippers. <laughs> <laughs> and I had the same thought because I thought, you know, when I drank, I would be too paranoid... That yeah. if I did that, someone would think I was kind of drunk or hungover or something like that. Yeah, so I would always, weird. like, you know, put lipstick. Well, I'm wearing lipstick now, but, um, you know, um, that's just for you two. Um, yeah. But, but, yeah, certainly it was just nice. so liberating, just not kind of caring. Yeah, it but, is. But, but yeah. It, it, that comes from a confidence, doesn't it? Mm. It comes from like an inner confidence and yeah. knowing that you're a nice person and you're not yeah. doing anything wrong. Yeah, I think you've absolutely exactly. hit the nail on the head. It, it, that old paranoia, it's from it's feeling conspicuous because you know that you're doing wrong things. You know <laughs> that you're not living your life in the correct way. And you think everybody else knows it. They can yeah. read it in your face. Whereas now, I just, I've got nothing to be ashamed of. If mm. I want to go to the co-op in my Birkenstocks and my running socks, I damn well will. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think it also reflects that kind of, um, that negative um, self-hate as well, you know, because it's like, I'm going to I'm going to set myself up for a fall, you know. I'm going to get doled up. I'm going to put the lipstick on. I'm going to go out looking, you know, fabulous even though I feel like shit inside and then I'm going to get completely drunk and make a complete idiot out of myself and then I'm going to hate myself because I have no self-worth and I have no self-love and that you know and then it's when you get to a point where it's like I love myself enough not to give mm. a shit, you know? yeah. and I'm yeah. not going to do myself in anymore. Mm. Maybe it's kind of an effort to paint over the cracks, yeah. you know. Yeah. You're, yeah. So, you're so broken that you, yeah. it's just like I a really so. kind of a bit of an effort to just try and yeah cover all that up from the outside world, but inside you know it's just totally pointless. <laughs> yeah. So what um you know because we're sort of talking about that that internal kind of growth aren't we essentially from being kind of like a mess and broken to having some confidence um it sort of leads me on to the next question which would be how has your sobriety changed over time and what practices do you consciously use now to keep you happy in your sobriety i think I mean, in the, I suppose the biggest changes came kind of thick and fast in the first two years. So the first year, like I said, was, you know, bloody awful. I was pretty much a hermit. I had no confidence. I hated myself. I mean, I really kind of felt so uncomfortable in my own skin. It was just like I just constantly wanted to depart my own body. <laughs> 
Um, I remember really feeling that, you know, just because I'd been so used to being able to do that with booze. And when you took the booze away, just being mm. sat there with my emotions and feeling me was horrible. So that was the first phase, pretty grim. But thrown into that were also really nice points as well, you know, kind of the, the whole having energy back, looking better, you know, sort of waking up in the morning without having to look at your phone and wonder what awful things you've done. So there was all those positive things as well thrown in. But overall, it was a bit of an uphill struggle the first year. And then it was just amazing for about three or four years because Sober Easters was growing. I mean, it was ridiculously sort of exciting, really, because you know, we got so much media attention. So I was going on TV and going to meet politicians and doing all these really crazy things that I just kept almost pinching myself, you know, sitting there on this morning talking to Philip Schofield <laughs> <laughs> and getting a book published, you know, mm. getting another book published. It was like all just bonkers stuff that I'd never in a million years planned for or thought would ever happen. And that carried me on this wave of real, you know, excitement. And then I suppose everything kind of plateaus at some point. So that all became a bit more normal after a while. And and then I suppose by the time all that kind of cooled down a bit, I just got very, very used to being sober. And, and, it, and I mean, I honestly never, ever think about wanting to drink ever. You know, like I've been through a relationship breakdown, a made, you know, a major relationship breakdown. I've been, um, you know, had sort of tr- pr- problems with kind of my daughter being a moody teenager and sort of, you know, then like the, the having two children at opposite ends of the age range, a little one and a teenager, trying to deal with that, being like a single parent, running sober Easter's, having kids, you know, just hectic juggling mothers, working mothers kind of life issues to deal with. And I've never, ever thought about drinking for a very long time, like maybe three, four years. So it's just never entered my head. Um, and I just kind of feel now like I've finished all my recovery and my personal development. Life, it's slowed down. Life's just got a nice, it's a nice pace now. Mm. I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere anymore. For a long time, I think I felt like I was trying to get to the next stage. And I don't feel like that anymore. I just feel like I am. And that's mm. really nice. Good to know, yeah. Yeah, that's really nice. and then mm. I think in terms of the second part of your question, what what stuff do I do? That's not really changed, I don't suppose, over the last few years. It's mostly, I think it's running. You know, I will always come back to running. I just absolutely love it. Um, and meditating definitely helps I do try and do that as much as I can I do forget sometimes or I don't have time for it but whenever I can that definitely helps um but I think recently as well I've probably one thing that has changed that I didn't used to do in this so much in the early days but I've started allowing myself to do nice things that maybe feel a bit frivolous and that I, I seem to have a problem with just downtime and kind of being nice to myself and letting myself do meaningless things that are just pleasant <laughs> mm. so I've just got a tv in my bedroom at the age of 43 for the first time so I always felt like it was just like a bit of a oh, naughty thing to do a bit clever you know lying in bed watching tv like wasting your life so I always kind of poo-pooed it but then I just whenever I stayed in a hotel I just loved putting a fluffy dressing gown on lying in bed watching <laughs> yeah. TV, pizza. and I just thought why am I like this <laughs> 
in this yeah. hotel. Yeah. Have you got an electric blanket as well? I can really recommend that. No, <laughs> that might be that one step too far. <laughs> no, it's just like, I just, you know, just thought you are allowed to do that. You know, you are 43. Mm. You can go buy a TV and have it in your bedroom and snuggle up in bed with the dogs and the kids on a Sunday morning and watch TV, mm. which is really nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, things like that. I've only, that that's quite a new development. I think I've only just started doing that. The other thing that I've started doing in the last year or two that I've probably neglected or definitely neglected was making time for my friends. And mm-hmm. I, I am a bit of a workaholic. And given the sort of you know the first opportunity, I'll kind of sack off any social engagements to do loads of work. I just I really get a kick out of working, but. I have a, a propensity to work too much, you know, to the um, and and kind of not not spend any time with friends or family, which is naughty and not good for me. So I, I've started making a much more concerted effort to carve mm. out time for friends and family over the last couple of years, which is definitely a good thing. Mm. So um, yes, running family. Yeah. Do you have any physical like objects sort of uh, people talk about a self-care sober toolkit you know um, it's quite popular in America to kind of I don't know have some crystals or some essential oils or some tea do you have anything just like if you feel a bit um, I have my little budders I do, I do like my budders and in the um, in the lounge I've got like a big budder with lots of candles around it it looks like a bit of a shrine but <laughs> That's a nice kind of calming mm. sight that that I kind of like to look at, and that that definitely calms me down. But um, no, I don't have anything like crystals. I suppose I'll do like a nice um, a nice matcha latte or a turmeric latte of an evening. That's a bit of a kind of soothing self yeah. thing, Little ritual thing. Yeah, so, that's quite nice. Mm. I don't. I, I like my Yorkshire tea. Oh um, yeah, a big. Me too. I like my Yorkshire tea in the morning, pyjamas, dogs, nice cup of tea. That's always nice. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't have any kind of crystals or anything like that, no. <laughs> not yet. No, not yet. But <laughs> the seed's out. been planted now. We'll talk to you next year and you'll be like, oh, yes, I've got all my, cris- my crystal healing like garden. And running socks, so who knows where <laughs> I'll be. <laughs> Uh, I know I was uh, I, I met up with um, Claire Pooley and um, and uh, Jolene Park and um, the girls that make the cards you know we are in good company yeah yeah in London and I found myself sort of in a cocktail bar drinking mocktails and doing tarot card readings <laughs> what happened to me I loved it I was like no I don't want to do it no and then I was like oh <laughs> okay then and then I was like writing it all down taking photos like my god yeah I don't think I'd that if somebody was a tarot card reader and have them there I think I'd definitely been yeah I'd have to I'd have to do that <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> too tempting so okay. um we've got one more question haven't we before we start to wrap it up um, okay so you wrote a book called the sober revolution which is mm-hmm. amazing and seminal for me. The tide does seem to be turning in terms of public awareness. You know, we talked about the conversations moving on. We've talked about the internet. You know, media coverage has changed a bit. But what do you think needs to happen for there to be a kind of real bona fide sober revolution on our doorstep? 
Well, I, I am quite, uh, quite hopeful that it's happening. I think it's a generational thing. Um, you know, do you remember kind of how, like, acceptable drink driving was in the 70s? You know, yeah. even my dad's, like, such a law-abiding man. And, you know, I remember him, when we, if we went out to a pub for Sunday dinner, he'd have three or four pints without giving it a second thought and then drive home with two mm. kids in the car. And, you know what I mean? It was just kind of like, God. And then the whole... The whole smoking thing, how much that's changed. So I think society is totally capable of, of like big changes, you know, big cultural shifts. But it tends to be a generational thing, and mm. just you know, the the I know there are still absolutely tons of young people who are out there binge drinking and drinking gin and vodka and God knows what else. Um, and at Sobrice's charity is is focusing on on universities now and collaborating with universities to try and help reduce that um or increase awareness anyway of alcohol related harms but mm. but there are an awful lot of young people who don't drink and more and more demand for non-drinking you know alternatives in the social sphere so i do think it is changing and i think as those people grow into kind of the 30s and 40s we'll have a different climate. That's against the backdrop of increasing awareness of the um, health harms of alcohol. Again, like smoking, you know, 20, 30 years ago, nobody questioned the, the sort of health harms of drinking unless you turned into an alcoholic and got liver disease. You know, that was that was all I was aware of when I was mm. 20. And I just thought, well, I won't be an alcoholic. <laughs> I just won't be one of them. And then I'll be okay. <laughs> You know, just yeah. complete ignorance. Nobody mm. knew that, you know, it gave you an, an increased risk of seven different types of cancer. At quite a low level of drinking, really. You know, you don't have to be drinking a litre of vodka a day to be to be causing yourself huge health harms. Um, early onset dementia, you know, there's all these kind of other consequences of heavy drinking that are becoming more and more um known about and and better researched so that's only going to help i think the big challenge for me is trying to is trying to sort of intercept the profiteering because everything's motivated by money in our society and and it's the kind of insidious greetings cards you know john lewis knows it's going to sell greetings cards mm. that make jokes about prosecco and how much wine somebody's drinking they know that sells that comes before um, a, a sort of concern for public health. You know, if, if there's a profit to be made in it, that's more important mm. than public health. And and that, to me, is the big area, that the, the big challenge, really. Mm. I think minimum unit pricing is only going to happen if that's going to domino because it, they're going to see a downturn in, in alcohol-related deaths in Scotland. I'm pretty sure of that. It's already happened in Wales. I'm sure England can't fight that off for much longer. Mm. But the advertising, the kind of, not even the advertising specific brands, but but that wine o'clock mentality, yeah. Facebook kind of little jokes about wine o'clock and Prosecco and gin, that really pisses me off. And I think it's a very difficult thing to kind of inter, you know, to get into, <clears throat> to sort of fight against because it's... Well, it is we were idea. talking about that on the last episode. We mm. talked a lot about marketing and... Um, there's no kind of legislation about social media. So, you know, because it comes from a personal voice, you know, it's... it's exactly. Not like You're not talking about, about brands. You're not talking yeah. about kind of 
having a go at Heineken or they're not advertising a brand, they're advertising binge drinking. Yeah, and a lifestyle yeah. sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, the lifestyle, yeah. it's like the hangover mm. and, you know, it's that kind of messaging that is so powerful mm. and invasive and pervasive. Mm. You know, how do you get into that and under the skin of that? that that's what needs to change more than anything, I think. And I don't really know how you do that other than a, a sea change, a growing number of people who are vocal yeah. about it. And hopefully that will happen. I think there are mm. signs. It's and the internet is brilliant for that. You know, mm. people people are kind of, it is gaining momentum because of the internet. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we normally finish uh, our episode with two things. Uh, a tip of the day, so like a sober tip. So if people are listening to this and they're sober curious or just become sober, um, something that might be kind of help them along their way. And then your reasons to love sober. So um, if we start okay. tip of the day, what would it be? So the tip of the day, I, I, it's a bit deep, but to me it's like the biggest um, factor in kind of successfully kicking the booze and that is to find or locate your sober identity and to love it <laughs> and you know when I first stopped drinking I just I just thought I was so boring like just the blankest person I just thought I had no personality anymore because I hadn't got booze in my life anymore just thought there was nothing about me and it took me ages to work out who I was without alcohol and and to like that person and to allow bits of the old Lucy into the new Lucy and to kind of end up with a nice version that I, that I liked and I was proud of. So finding that identity, who you are without the alcohol and somebody that you actually like and somebody that you can be proud of is a really, really helpful thing to consider I think when you first stop drinking if you're intending on stopping drinking for good mm. um and then what was your second question reasons, what, to, reasons to love so to love being sober I suppose clarity is at the top of the list I, I can't imagine how awful it must be to spend your days in a fog you know, that that's so mm. distant in my memory. I just can't imagine getting up and when you're ill, it's horrible, isn't it? Mm. And when you drink every night, you're deliberately making yourself ill. <laughs> it's just like the thought of waking up with like a headache and being all foggy headed and grumpy and tired and miserable. Mm. And knowing I've done that to myself, that's just like awful. So the, the clarity of, of, you know, being fully present in my life is definitely my number one. I think the second one is um, is letting go of that fear, I suppose. I think I just spent so much time scared of what I was going to do, how my life was going to turn out, whether I was going to die of, sort of, you know, liver disease or fall down the stairs and break my neck or whatever. I just endlessly worried about it. And to let go of that and to feel like I've got control back in my life is very sort of... Um, yeah, important to me. It's something that I really value very highly. Yeah, fantastic. Well done, Lucy. It's been so lovely to speak to oh, you. Thank you for having me. I'm really honoured to be your first interviewee. Oh, no, it was only right, wasn't it, Randy? Oh, it was right and proper. <laughs> um, like Lucy, you mentioned the charity. 
um, the yeah. Sobristers charity. Is that would you like to 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 flag that up, or is there anything else that you would you know that you're doing at the moment that you'd you know like to? Well, the charity is very, it's very kind of uh, embryonic, I suppose. Mm. We've set, we set up the charity with the intention of, as as we grow, um, as Sobristas grows, you know, we, we want to have somewhere that we can plough the surplus money into. Mm. So and it seemed like the obvious thing to set up a charity so that we can have a nice cyclical arrangement um, whereby the charity funds research and educational projects in, to reduce alcohol-related harms. So that that's kind of something that's just really got getting started now. Mm. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, early days, but there's lots we can do there, which is nice. I think the only thing I would flag up that's a lot more kind of imminent is that I've just started organising our next Sobristas workshop, which will take place in London on January the 12th. Ooh. And that's going on to Eventbrite in the next Ooh. couple of days. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll and there will be tickets, which will be a bit cheaper than the full cost. And um, yeah, so that I'll be posting that on on mm. Sobreasters and on our Facebook and Twitter and everything, and then tickets will be available very soon. Yeah, so people can who aren't members of Sobreasters, who are curious, can they find you on Facebook to find out, or do you have to be a member of Sobreasters? How does it work? Yeah, you could. Well, the Facebook page is open, so anybody it's not it's not a private Facebook, so anybody can go on there. There'll be full. There'll be a link to the Eventbrite page, and there'll be all details on there. And it's totally open to anybody, sobriesters and non-sobriesters. Mm. The workshop basically just, I suppose, a day of um, celebrating the joy that is being sober. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. I, 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 my idea with them was that it was going to be like a real life sober Easter's. So it's lots of people supporting each other and sharing stories and mm. um, inspiring each other, but in a face to face real life setting. So Fantastic. OK, so what we can do, we can link that in the bio, can't we, Mandy? The notes, we'll, we'll yeah. get all that from Lucy. We'll, okay, we'll put brilliant. all that so that people can kind of click on it and find it and all the rest of it. And england in january yay what do you say yeah. i said i've got another reason to come back to england <laughs> in january now, so that's nice you'll need to move back you need to move back near me i don't i'm super <laughs> <hope>. <laughs> i've been staying in a hotel and they've got bbc one bbc two and cbb's and i found myself in the hotel room with the tv above the bed watching cbb's by myself <laughs> oh it's like lucy you'd be like lucy in her bed watching her telly and me yeah with a big mouse of pizza on your knee yeah <laughs> sentimental moment watching uh raster mouse by myself thinking oh god <laughs> <laughs> anyway okay. then i watched um sorry cash and dick sorry Digress. Well, look, it's time to wrap up, really, isn't it? Because we've got yeah. to nearly an hour now. So um, we'll, we'll say goodbye. And if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, you can go to your GP. Um, we've started flagging up Mind, haven't we, as a go to resource because yeah. they're really, really good in terms of agencies of support. I don't know, Lucy, I don't know if you know any other websites to direct people to. We used to do Drinkware. But it, we found out that a lot of them, it was sponsored by the booze industry. So we've been trying to send yeah, people elsewhere. Yeah, I, I never direct people there because no. it is sponsored by the 
drinks industries, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, no, I think um, I think there's Alcohol Concern is a very mm. good website. Actually. Okay. There's absolutely tons of information on their website. I really like it, and it's got a good blog as well. Um, obviously, Sober Easters has a lot of information on there, but. Um, your GP, you know, if you have got, I know people, it's like, it's not always a great thing because you don't want to be talking about it, but, um, but GPs do have all the, you know, recommended, um, resources at their fingertips in sort of in terms of local help. So that is always a good starting point and, and it should be, you know, um, confidential. So you shouldn't, shouldn't worry yeah. about, um, about being you know found out or anything if you do want to ask a gp anything there is always and you don't want to reveal yourself there is always the ask the doctor service on sober easters which is very good our, mm. our doctor rachel is great and you can be anonymous there that's great well right, thank you very much yeah, and thanks um, so much. and yeah thanks thanks lisa thank so you wrap for up. Oh, very nice no. that's fantastic and um right so we'll see you next week for more chat. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.